we are recording. Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Kate. I'm Elias. I'm Johnny Cono Dahl. I'm Nathan. I'm Dylan and Eve. So today we're going to be talking about the game What Remains of Edith Finch. This is a narrative style first person game um, that tells the story of Edith Finch, who is the last remaining family member in her family tree. And she returns to her childhood home and tries to uncover some of the secrets of what's going on. Um, we are going to be talking about two main topics today. Um, villainy within the game, how that feeds into you know, the overall overarching intergenerational trauma, as well as false narratives and how they feed into that intergenerational trauma as well. So, Alrighty, so as Kate just said, we're, I'm going to talk about the first subtopic, which is villainy and how it feeds into narrative trauma. And so I'm going to just come right out and say this, that I think Edie is the villain. Um, she, she is the one <laughs> who is perpetuating the idea of this family curse, and she is also the one to create an, a very oppressive atmosphere by drilling peepholes into everyone's bedroom door. Um, also, I think another good point mentioned by Noelle Warner in her blog post titled What Remains of Edith Finch's Family Curse is Ambiguity Done Right. The fact that Edie creates shrines for all of her dead relatives is, um, I think, really in poor taste, and that's putting it lightly. Um, so I think this is either the behavior of a deeply troubled woman, um, a troubled but otherwise benign woman, or one who is actively harming her own family in order to make herself feel better. Yes, to go off Elijah's point, uh, when discussing Wono's uh, article, um, Wono brings up examples de demonstrating um, Edie's not-so-great qualities. For example, there's the fact that Edie uh, left Molly with no supper, which ultimately led to her death, and she, uh, yeah, she uh, ate the mistletoe, got poisoned. Molly could have also prevented um, Calvin's death by not having Calvin play on a swing near the cliff, and <laughs> Sam that maybe could also be prevented by having Edith teach Sam to be more careful and, you know, not be stand next to a, a dead deal, maybe dead deal, on a cliff. So there's plenty, there are pieces of evidence that sort of demonstrate Edith's carelessness. It's definitely interesting to see all of the deaths as kind of coincidental. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. What I mean is like, like you're saying, like the swing is right near the cliff. Um, the dad is uh, taking a picture with a deer right on a cliff. So it's very much, I think in terms of the curse, it's yes and no with does it exist. They could all be seen as accidental, but similarly, she, Edie also creates those shrines sometimes before people die. Um, True. <laughs> and sometimes without her knowing if they're actually dead or not. Mm -hmm. We know that uh, one of Edith's siblings is unknown as to whether or not he's dead. Um, and she still created the shrine, so it's kind of like she's perpetuating that curse even though she doesn't know if it's actually like, hit she's her family yet. She's expecting them to yeah. die. How many accidents till it becomes an incident? Right. But honestly, I think I do kind of want to humor the idea that maybe there is a potential curse. Maybe Edie isn't actually a bad person. And, you know, I mean, all of these deaths that have been presented could be accidental. I mean, there isn't anything directly um, 
tied to Edie that we can actually see. I mean, even the one death which was caused by neglect was actually caused by Dawn, which is her daughter, like, forgetting to um, watch the baby in the bathtub versus um, Edie, like, coming in there and doing something nefarious or something like that. So it really could all be accidents, and I think um, it, it really shows because if this curse is potentially real, for instance, and all these kids have knowledge of it from Edie, like, what happens when someone has this knowledge and they're expecting it, and then it never comes, and they just have to sit around and wait for it? So I'm referencing right now a video um, documentary from YouTube by um, Paul Anderson. Or, sorry, Joseph Anderson, let me correct myself. Um, and um, one of the ideas that kind of goes into this is um, that Lewis isn't actually... Um, going to ever meet his curse because he is just sitting around expecting it. Mm -hmm. He's actually the one person who it isn't really an accident. I mean, Lewis kills himself at his factory job. He gets stuck in this monotonous loop and expects some sort of fantastical thing to come to him that never does. And that, I think, could be more of Edie's fault than any sort of like actuality of the curse or anything. True. Yeah, I think it's helpful that the writing of this game is very restrained and closed off, and mm -hmm. so that's where all of this ambiguity mm -hmm comes from. I love the idea of that and actually one of the things that I wanted to talk about was Edith getting almost no information from Edie at all. Um, this kind of feeds into the false narratives topic just because you know Edith perceives the situation as the player perceives the situation. She has almost no information and receives almost nothing from Edie. Um, and as someone who is perpetuating the curse as you know, Dylan was saying, Edie doesn't really plan for telling someone who survives what happens. Um, Edith is kind of forced to figure that out herself. Um, I was reading an article from Alyssa Strauss's Maternal Gatekeeping, um, which is found on CNN, which is basically talking about how moms don't let dads help in the households. Um, and it's become such a common phenomenon that there's actually a name for it now, um, dubbed by psychologists. But what's interesting to me is the fact that this is just perceived gatekeeping. Um, other people can be interested in helping out in the household, and they just don't. Um, and so it kind of perpetuates this idea that the information is being, you know, gatekept. So I guess I, that kind of brings up the question, like, is Edith gatekeeping information, or is that just what we've been led to believe? Um, does she actually know nothing, or does she know more than she's leading on and she's actually keeping that from Edith? Um, in that case, I would absolutely see her as a villain, if that were the latter yeah. case. I think that's actually really interesting, because one thing that we haven't talked about is Edie's room, where she has all these news clippings of every time this family has ever had any sort of attention or... Um, medial spotlight of any kind. Every time there's a death, every time um, there is a success with Barbara or anything like that, there's a poster, there's a news article, there's something for it. She has a, essentially a hoarder space of all yeah. the attention she's received over the years. And it's, it's starting to, it was very interesting because I was like, okay, maybe the curse on Edie isn't um, that her family is dying, but that she is so desperate for attention and wanting that, that when these terrible accidents happen, she is convincing herself with delusion and the public in order to have an attention and be like, oh my god, we're cursed. 
It's not, it's not us. We're not terrible parents. We're not a terrible grandmother. We're not neglectful. We're just cursed. Right. Mm -hmm. I would say it's interesting to look at the curse as real because I, when you look at Edie, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting to look at her from the perspective of, perspective of she actually knows nothing and she's just, this is her way of coping Mm-hmm. with all of these deaths like on the one hand you could see it as she there is a curse and she knows more than she's letting on but I think the more probable answer is she's having trouble coping absolutely yeah. she's yeah. all of her all of her family members are dying in weird mysterious ways to her that are weird and mysterious but you know as the audience we understand that it largely they're coincidental they're incidental um, and so she has curated this story to deal with the fact that, you know, her family's dying off. And so it has like, it has a snowball effect. It has, it leads Lewis to live his life in such a way where he's expecting it. But I think Lewis is the perfect example of showing that the curse doesn't exist. It doesn't. If you, ex- if you live your life expecting one thing, it's not. It's, you know, it's not a 100% guarantee that it's going to happen. And so I think it's definitely a point of, it's definitely a, a point of contention, I guess, mm-hmm. of the family that, um, you know, Edie has created this narrative. I mean, look at the end when um, uh, Edith's mother is arguing with Edie. Mm-hmm. Um, and saying you're not like you're not telling me everything they're arguing they don't have enough uh, like what are you doing to my daughter like what are you doing to my daughter yeah so I think that is definitely one of the biggest points in the in the game of just of just seeing how this all of these stories all of these um, oh what are they called Uh, Uh, flashbacks all these flashbacks are culminating into ED being confronted and going, oh, wait, uh, whoa. Do you think maybe, like, ED could potentially be, at least in some ways, helping, like, say, Edith? Do you think, like, being, do you think, like, whether so on two sides is, because, you know, it might end up, someone like Edith might become more fearful of death knowing all the stories, but don't you think you Edith calls to say learn lessons from knowing all these stories. I guess which side do you feel lean to? Yeah, I feel like Edie might feel like they're helping um, Edith cope, but in the reality, it's their own coping again. Still, like in their action of I'm going to pass down this knowledge, they feel like they're protecting something that doesn't need to be protected. There's nothing there. It's all delusion. So it really is just Edie doing what she thinks is best for herself if anything and I think it could be highly motivated it's like a highly selfish action but yeah so um, we have talked about not only false narratives and how they feed into intergenerational trauma so looking at how Edie has again curated this story whether or not it's real I think that's really is up to interpretation of the audience member and the player but it really shows you know how one 
inkling of an idea can really snowball and affect the lives of other people and how they live their lives, as well as how, you know, we see if the one person creating this story turns into the villain when they themselves do not see them. Like, they don't see themselves as the villain, but they clearly are the main antagonist mm -hmm. of the story. Um, you know, Edie is trying to cope. She's trying to kind of take the blame or take the view away from uh, all of these coincidental and coincidental deaths when in reality she is the, you know, she's the main antagonist. She is causing all of the, uh, all of the problems because of that initial story. Perpetuating fear. Exactly. Almost. So that is, uh, that is, I think, definitely the main, uh, the main point that we are trying to get across in this podcast. Um, next time we will be talking about uh, gender disparity and death and going more into gender, the gender and identity of what remains of Edith Finch. So again, my name is Nathan. I'm Dylan and Eve. Kate. This has been Elias. I'm Johnny. And thank you for listening.